The White House recently appointed Lauren DeJong Schulman as Associate Director for Performance and Personnel Management at the Office of Management and Budget. My next guest has a couple of ideas for what Ms. Schulman should set as her personal goals. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. He joins me now in studio. I guess this is a pretty important position to begin with, Director of Performance and Personnel Management. It kind of implies the connection between the people and the program performance. It does. So she's responsible for actually implementing President Biden's management agenda. She's responsible for ensuring that the goals that are identified by the agencies across the government that are then recorded on the website performance.gov are actually implemented. So it's a huge job, very complex job. And President Biden made it even more complicated when he has declared that issues that go across departments, for example, like veterans' mental health, be coordinated by DOD and VA and HHS rather than each creating independent goals. So that collaboration adds another level of complexity to her very, very important, difficult job. And what I'm suggesting is that she had a performance goal for herself, which would be to increase the number of hits from the general public on performance.gov. The public should be accessing, in my view, performance.gov on a regular basis because the website itself on the homepage says it, quote, attracts what the U.S. federal government is doing about issues that matter to you, close quote. So if that's the case, more members of the general public ought access performance.gov. Ms. Schulman comes at an interesting time because it's past the halfway point of the administration. It's a good year and a half or so since the president's management agenda was even issued. And it talks about elevating the federal workforce and empowering it in greater detail, in greater degree. And it talks about better customer experience put out there. And, of course, you need the right people to put out the best customer experience. The question is, it's late and she's got some ground to pick up here. She does have some ground to pick up. And in terms of this access to the public, I was thinking this morning, actually, about if I were a taxpayer and I was trying to decide whether I would file my own taxes and call an IRS representative or would I do TurboTax. And so I went on performance.gov and I put in IRS level of service and I got 17 responses, none of which went to IRS level of service. Then I went to Department of Treasury, started scrolling, 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 found level of service, but I only found level of service for fiscal year 21. The plan was 35%, which means 35% of the telephone calls would be answered. The achievement was 18.5%, but nothing for fiscal year 22, nothing for fiscal year 23. So as a taxpayer interested in the performance of the IRS, I was unable to get the information that I needed and that mattered to me. So I'm suggesting that this website be more interesting more available to answer taxpayer questions. Well, yeah, but how do they find out what taxpayers really want to know? I mean, there's 360 million citizens in the United States. Each one has a slightly different question on what he or she would like to get from the government. And so I think what you say implies a need to maybe do some outreach. Well, of course, you have to do outreach, but it's really the basic information is there. 
about performance. Make that information accessible. Make it searchable. Make it accessible. Encourage the public to apply. I mean, the fact of the matter is that if this were to occur, maybe, just maybe, people would talk to their members of Congress, talk to their senators, because the fact is members of Congress focus not on public policy implementation or whether or not last year's promises were effectively and efficiently implemented. Rather, they focus on new promises for the future. It's easy to promise for the future because it's the future. It's much more difficult to hold yourself accountable for the promises in the past, and most members of Congress don't do it. But if this performance.gov were actually a tool for the public, maybe they would. We're speaking with Bob Tobias. He's a professor in the key executive leadership program at American University. And I think part of the problem is that the website has a kind of a propaganda look to it in the front end. And this is something every administration does. The late Mike Causey used to complain about that, that everything the government puts out extols the virtues of the administration, which everyone happens to be. Thanks to the president's genius and wisdom, we are able to you know, buy 200 electric cars or something like that. And maybe that's what turns off people. Yes, we know people support the administration that's in power at the given time, Obama, Trump, Bush, Biden, whatever. But it doesn't have an objective feel necessarily what it is, the information that the government puts out. And I'm not sure Ms. Shulman can do anything about that. But do you think that's an issue? It might be an issue, but that issue would go away, Tom, I think, if I could go to the search engine on the front page and say level of service because it's part of their performance plan but it hasn't been updated, and it's not accessible. If level of service were accessible, then I'd know as a taxpayer, should I make the call to the IRS or should I pay TurboTax? Right. And the other thing they could do, I think, too, is, as you say, what is it that most concerns the most people paying taxes? That should be like permanently on the front page of performance.gov. And then there's 9 million veterans. I mean, tailor it to what's really going on and not the listing of... Well, I don't think performance.gov could be a website that answered everybody's questions about anything VA or anything IRS, but they could answer questions related to the performance plan that's already buried in the website. So I'm not asking any more information be placed on the website, only that which is there be easily accessible. All right. So have you written this to Ms. Shulman yet? Have you gotten an answer? I have not. Well, hopefully she's listening. If not, we'll send her the link. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. As always, thanks for your thoughts. Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be with you as usual. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Enroll in the Federal Drive. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, 
and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama, and there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full-time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners. And so the um, owner of the property, a white woman, would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in, and she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of Look and Life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in Look and Life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where 
sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, we have institutions that want to define themselves uh, based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations. But you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them. And I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have, you mentioned Horace Mann, I don't know if, if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that, that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released, and that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an wow. audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sasulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness towards the society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story, and it you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to to go as far as you have, and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, 
you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way. That's sort I, of the I way that I kind of see all of that. You that's know? brilliant. <laughs> And um, being born in rural southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can, I can tell you that your, your comments about travel and getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.